This week we head back down the UFO UAP rabbit hole and we talk with Grant Levac. He's doing some valuable research and also petitioning the government down under to release what they know about UAPs and UFOs as the US is doing right now. I know I've said it a number of times, however the craziest thing, well one of the craziest things that's happened over the last few years is that they confirmed that UFOs and UAPs are real and nobody cares. The ramifications of that are are hard to wrap your head around, but I suppose cognitive dissonance is going around. I love sitting down with Grant. He's very knowledgeable, and we had a really good wide-ranging discussion, not only about some of the encounters that have happened down under and the recorded cases, however, just a wide-ranging discussion about the genre in general, because it's so fascinating. I was going to release this one yesterday because there's a new DOD document coming out at uh, time of release. However, it hasn't got out yet, so... I've got a couple of uh, swap casts with Encounters Down Under coming up, so I might tack some of that stuff onto that, or we might review it before the next EFS. Not too sure what music's going to be this time. I'll have a bit of a look, see if I can make it a bit weird. However, please look after yourselves. Be kind. Oh, and I can't say stay safe anymore. One of the awesome listeners said they don't like that. Apparently, it's something to do with the WEF. That's one of their mottos, stay safe. So we don't need that. Just look after yourselves and be kind and be cool. Remember, we're on Patreon. Unlocking the code. If you want to swing a couple of bucks our way, that'd be awesome. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us a review. That does help. Five stars, etc. blah, blah. That's it. Enjoy this one. UAPs and UFOs with Grant Levac. Thanks, everyone. Talk soon. Cheers. There's a poison in the structure. People suffer, people suffocate with suffocated. They be making all bubble. Subtle is the cuddle of the snake that squeezes. Hate to see this matrix seizes. Maybe we just need to pull the plug. Drain the system, poison out of body. You've been probably overdosing most of life and never noticed. Overloaded, rub the cups and come with dosing. No one's up and no emotion. No engulfed in this dimension here. We work all day and it's there always a thinking crystal clear. Everything we do revolves around the dollar count. It's all around us, all the ground. We're falling down and knocks you out. Get off the couch. It's all think out the top. Your spouses got your pals, you call the council, got no answer, you've all been out in small amounts, it's all we have, it's all planned out for our defeat, water down the modern man and bottle love, so we have no intuition of a vision that it's all corrupt, Ooh, I know we bet our vision get boggy, always been forgotten, we're sick of our thoughts and living in box another school, find all of those outreaches, forgotten the beaches, to walk on the street, out to modern all pieces of part of a school, find out what's been making you take, but didn't face it with criticism, awakening your inhibitions, slow down, you better leave your belongings, you'll stop receiving your callings and be unleashing from bondages. Bringing it out, draining it out, every day is about a way to get out, find a solution.
life illusion Portrayed every day in our face We do what they say They use us away Pollution can take Conducing our brains We choose to escape To do what they make You wear it on your face I can see the burden on your shoulders heavy And it's getting unrelenting You're frowning from how hard the world strains you And stress it depresses the fast It's just a system that's a hope That puts you in scenarios you never chose It's not your fault that every known Element in your life is in control Everything but not your soul So this can be some therapy Some psychedelic clarity Don't fight between polarities Go wear it will not go Slide between the barricades It's nice to be aware of things It's kinda like some kerosene Lighten up the world It's a poisonous system You didn't invent this prison So who'd you be when it's all out? Everything you think needs to go now Defeat the people that hold down You from beating you blow out Your brain cloud Become new and escape now Take route 86 escape now Gotta lay down Everything you learned Everything you know Everything they ever told you Been a poison from your soul Bringing it out Bringing it out It is about A way to get out Our minds are polluted Find a solution Life illusion Portrayed every day in our face We do what they say The use is a way Pollution can take And do it to our brains We choose to escape Do what they make Do what they make People beyond People beyond Waking up to the people We need to be 2004. Welcome back, everyone. It's my great pleasure to introduce Grant Levac to the podcast. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Very well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on and a chance to chat with your listeners. Yeah, thank you, mate. Thank you. So speaking to the listeners, why don't you tell them about yourself, mate? You're doing some interesting research. You've got a healthy obsession with Kurt Russell. Like, where do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I suppose like a lot of people, you know, when, when COVID hit, uh, we found ourselves... Uh, spending a lot more time at home and not being able to engage and socialize, I kind of uh, threw myself into the the UFO or UAP topic as it's now referred to. And I'd always had an interest in it since I was a kid, mm. but I really, um, I really threw myself in and became a sponge and tried to, you know, learn as much as I possibly could and and uh, and you know watch as many subject matter experts and thought leaders in the space. And I mean. My my first foray, I guess, into the UFO topic started when I was I was a young fella. My my dad, I, I was born and raised in Sydney, and I was around about uh, seven or eight years of age. Um, I suspect my dad may have had a bit of an interest in it as well. But he took me to a UFO photo exhibition that was at oh, the okay. uh, Center Point Tower, or I think they now call it Sydney Tower, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was an incredible exhibition because I had a lot of black and white photos that they'd blown up on you know big canvas and stuff and put uh, put on display around the exhibition and and one of the photos was of the the McMinnville photo that black and white McMinnville photo from the fifties mm-hmm. and uh, and I mean, I've said this a number of times on other uh, podcasts but I just literally lost myself in that photo and just stared at it for what could have been a good ten fifteen minutes just mm-hmm. uh, just imagining what it would have been like to be that you know that farmer on his property looking up uh, or that rancher and just seeing something very frightening but also very fascinating in front of him Mm. so that that kind of spurned my interest from a very young age and then growing up as a teen in the 90s you know the 
the X Files, yeah, 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 yeah. Every Wednesday night, nine yeah, o'clock, absolutely. you know. Yeah. And uh, footy, and train, sub- footy training used to be on Thursday night. You have to watch the X Files on Wednesday nights. When you went to footy exactly. training on Thursday night, you had to talk about X Files. And, and God forbid you forget, you, know, you miss absolutely. an episode yeah, because then you'd feel totally out of it the next yeah. day when you're chatting with your mates at school. But yeah. and I, you know, I have some subscriptions going off for ten times and stuff. And but it really wasn't until you know the the bombshell articles, I guess, of December of 2017 came out yep. in the New York Times where. Yep. Uh, you know, Leslie Keane and Ralph Blumenthal, you know, m- made made news and, and revealed to the world that the U.S. did have a, a UFO program mm. um, under the moniker of of A Tip, but there's a lot of a lot yeah, of blue book. The, the list goes on. Yeah, right? blue book, OSTAP, uh, A Tip, UAPF, the UAP task force, and now um, you know the the all domain anomalies resolutions office era. Uh, so ever since really um, 2017, and then you know, um, in part because of COVID, I've just really become entrenched in the topic and yeah. and tried to um, try to learn as much as I possibly could. And I, I watched I watched a lot of uh, live streams and listened to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, Jimmy Church was probably one of the first I listened to on Fade to Black, and became aware of John Greenwald Jr. of the Black uh, BlackVault.com and mm-hmm. and some other guys and. And then, you know, I, I was wondering, well, I wonder what Australia is doing about this yes. topic, seeing as our, our US ally and Five Eyes partner is taking it so seriously and mm-hmm. essentially uh, admitted to the world, courtesy of the, the you know, June 2021 uh, ODNI preliminary assessment on UAP, mm-hmm. that UFOs are real, you know, 143 yeah. out of 144 cases they weren't able to identify. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I use that as kind of uh, inspiration to engage my elected representatives here in Australia mm-hmm. and, and ask the question, you know, our US ally is taking this topic very seriously, what is Australia doing? Yeah. And that's kind of been my burning mission ever since to understand why Australia's got its head buried in the sand and, and mm-hmm. not taking the topic seriously. So, Well, look, I think that's there's a thousand things to talk about there. And I look, number one, Australia buries its head in the sand in a lot of ways, the way that our governmental framework works. Um, you know, and I think it is interesting, right? I mean, what is Australia doing? I mean, that's sort of where I ended up with my research as far as megalithic stuff is concerned. It's like there's a big Australia-sized hole in the megalithic research. And I imagine like yourself, there's not nothing to find here in Australia, is there? I mean, you talk about the Macmillan incident, you've got the stuff at the trying to remember the school back in the 50s as well yeah, Westall, uh, Westall, yeah, yeah. um our, our, our you know our, our our joint contact anthony goodall from canners down under he did sort of another amazing episode about another incident that happened and many many that have happened uh this phenomenon is not it's not like it's an america thing it's not like i mean part of that other group of research that came out in 2021 we sort of found out the french are very open to it as well and they're recording yep. a lot of stuff as well spain is recording stuff it's not this is happening it's not, it's not isolated no yeah it's, it's, it's not isolated to north planet. north america we just uh i think america is just making a lot more noise about it than anyone else well yep. they are the, the the given superpower of the moment aren't they so you know we we, we glean a lot of our information and media through that channel mm. uh you know when we talk about I mean, it's crazy. Like we said before we hit the record button, let's just break it down real simple. So UAPs and UFOs are real, okay? Um, I know we want to talk about Ryan Graves and stuff and the plethora of evidence that exists for that now. No denying it. So then by extension, either ultra-terrestrials, which is a race that has existed on this planet potentially prior to the last big cataclysm, 
uh, and who knows for how long, uh, or extraterrestrials, therefore people from somewhere else, whether it be interdimensionally or space or whichever way you want to go with it, either way, one of those things is true. Uh, and it just doesn't seem to have entered the zeitgeist. I don't know what, I mean, there's obviously a lot of fear and control, divide and conquer the, the, the psychological operation we've all, we were all under the last few years was pretty crazy. However, um, it surprises me that more people don't care. I mean, what's your thoughts about that? I mean, yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I mean, I think for a long time, you know, the, the extraterrestrial hypothesis has always been the most fascinating and I guess um, exciting one for folks that, you know, uh, whenever you see, uh, you know, mainstream media or news media cover the UFO topic, and this is what, you know, excuse my French, but this is what shits me about the news media is that, and they still do it to this day, that they'll, they'll, they'll throw on the X-Files theme at the front mm. end of every segment they do. Yeah. So there's still that level of um, taking the piss and ridicule mm. and, mm -hmm. and not taking it seriously. But um, I, I mean, I so, you know, and I've listened to um, many, many, I mean, Ross Coulthard being one, Frank Milburn and, and many others, Michael Masters, mm. you know, it, it's more, it, it's, it's not, um, it's not improbable that it's the phenomenon is actually more than one thing. I mean, it, yes, it could be absolutely. extraterrestrial. It could very well be ultra terrestrial, some breakaway breakaway civilization that's managed to evade human detection for mm. millennia. And mainly because we maybe don't have the technology to, uh, to detect it. So, uh, it could also be the, there's the future human hypothesis, you know, mm. is this, is this us from the future that has uh, managed to, have some form of uh, engagement with our our present. So, mm. uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it's 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 fascinating to ask the question. You know, uh, what are UAP? What who's who's operating mm. these anomalous objects? And and mm. I certainly think it's worth asking the question. Well, what else could it be other than extraterrestrial? And um, and I'm glad that there are people like Michael Masters and. Gary Nolan and you know there's there's Avi Loeb. Uh, mm -hmm. I really um, admire the work that Avi Loeb is doing. He went out on a limb. He went out on a limb to to, to talk about Umuamua. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, he yeah. really and yeah. and one of the things I like about Avi Loeb is, you know, he he's he's not driven by ego. He no. he, he lets he lets the the data well, speak just, for speak for itself. The, the data gave him a uh, conclusion that shocked him as much as anyone yeah. if, you, if you go back to the early times when he was releasing that data initially mm. and everyone's like oh well, it was a space rock well no it actually had direction it changed thrust it changed direction through our solar system it was something else yep um and, and you know and he 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 asked the question and he put um he put an idea for it and mm. you know there are a lot of people in the academic community that probably uh, ridiculed him, but he he didn't really care. He just follows the facts wherever they they lead, and that's what I that's what I really um, admire in what he's doing with the Galileo project, mm -hmm. in that he's not waiting for for government to reveal any information which they're very very unlikely to do, and he's yeah. not relying on classified information because he they, he can't do anything with it. He can't open source it, so mm -hmm. he's just uh, he's taken it upon himself, and he's. He's procured a, an amazing uh, cross section of talent yeah. and skill sets and expertise to embark on an endeavor to 
capture high fidelity, high resolution imagery of uh, of UAP. Mm. Well, some of the photos we've been getting out of the the declassified information are very interesting as well. Some of the pictures and you know the there's the gimbal and the go fast and there's all these sorts of things. However, it, it still comes back to the question: they are real, you know? Like it's. But let, let's I tell you what, let's bring it back down under because I wanted to ask you you you. Because like I said before, there's only so many lines of research you can you can do. And I showed you some of the stuff that I've been looking at um, before yep. we turn the mics on. You focused your attention on the Aussie experience, uh, the Aussie experiences that, you know, you would have researched and had a look at through those photos. And there's some really interesting stuff. What would you say, well, which, is, which one do you like the most? Which one question makes you question the most or which... Well, I, I certainly find Westall to be one of the yeah, most intriguing, yeah. um, just purely based on the, the sheer number of witnesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, albeit children, and we know children have imaginations, but I don't think you can rule um, <laughs> rule not imagination out. Not when they all tell the out. same story. Not when they all tell the yeah. same story. No, exactly right. And that's why I think there's a lot of parallels, even though the circumstances are different and what was witnessed was different. I think there's a lot of parallels with um, the, the Ariel School sighting in Zimbabwe yeah. with yeah. Yeah, yes, a lot of parallels with, uh, with with Westall. And you had, uh, you know, you had a one of the adult teachers was also witness to the incident. And then the fact that he was told to basically shut up and not talk about it hmm. um, after the event, you know, raises a lot of eyebrows. And the fact that you have reports of the then Department of Supply allegedly uh, compiling a pretty significant and bulky report on mm. the Westall incident. And now all these years later, it's mysteriously vanished and no yeah. one can find it. So yeah, they um, thoroughly interviewed all the children, the teachers and everyone else like that. Then they went away. They came back, literally the men in black came back and said, by the way, don't ever talk about this again. And so I think the Department of Defense and the Royal Australian Air Force have never provided. Um, yeah, what were the, who were the jets in the sky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they've never provided an explanation as to what they determined the Westall incident. Uh, yeah, if it was prosaic, well, what was the prosaic explanation? I don't think we've ever had. Um, no, I've never know, seen a good explanation of that. Never. No, and and so I think Westall is certainly a case, a cold case that that warrants. Um, further analysis and, and a revisit. So that's one that I certainly um, am fascinated by. And, and I, I'm originally from Sydney, but I moved down to Melbourne oh, a number of years ago uh, with my wife. And, and I would love to take some time out at some point to, to pay the Westall site a visit. And, and, uh, and just because there's nothing quite like being on the ground and in a location where something anomalous happened because yeah, you can absolutely. just yep. immerse yourself in the environment and, and, your, and your imagination goes wild and you start really connecting with the with, with the surround. So mm -hmm. Westall for me has always been a fascinating one, but a lot of the historical cases as well, like my connection um, to this topic in an Australian context is is a unique one in that my, my uncle on my mother's side, um, his name was Des Barnsley, and he was a project manager for uh, a top secret project called Resat back in the 1960s, which was based out of Woomera. In yeah. South Australia, yeah, which is the uh, old nuclear testing range for those. Yeah, so so he was he was based at Woomera for a number of years, and and there have been a lot of historical reports. I mean, you can just pull them up out of the the National Australia, the National Archives of Australia. A lot of the reports of anomalous objects and 
uh, you know, unusual lights in the sky occurring at, at Woomeran. And he was uh, he was based there and, and responsible for launching Australia's very first satellite into uh, into orbit. So oh, wow. and cool. uh, sadly, he passed away a number of years ago. So uh, I never had an opportunity yeah, to. I was going to ask, is he still? We need to, to grill him. I, I would have loved to, but his um, his wife, my my aunt, is still alive, and uh, I hope at some point that I can um, pick her brain. But at, at our conversations to date have been that she doesn't recall um, Des ever talking to her about any uh, reports of anomalous anomalous objects wow, look, or I mean, uh, they're all under disclosure agreements back then as well. well I mean, this is post World yeah. War Two nuclear technology, all that stuff. Like there would have been a lot of paperwork there. That's right. But it was interesting that there was a, a you know a UFO group, a UFO organization that was dedicated to the region uh, mm. in, in and around Woomera at the time. So, and it's not just isolated to Woomera, and that that's not the only military installation where there have been reports over decades of anomalous activity. Mm -hmm. You've got the Harold D. Holt base in Western yeah. Australia. Yeah. Uh, you've got Maralinga, which is also in South Australia. You've got the Pine Gap in Northern mm -hmm. Territory which is jointly operated uh, by the US and, and Australia. So, yeah. and all of those sites are heavily featured in, um, in Ross Coulthard's book in plain sight, where he mm. documents a lot of the, a lot of the cases. So, but to come back to your original question, yeah, Westall is one that I continue to be fascinated by to this day because it, there's so many more questions than there are answers. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think that was a really good answer because what I found as well, I knew about Westall, like Westall's, you know, I was trying to see if I could find it. I've got a alien book behind me that I've had since I was 12. So, mm -hmm. you know, I bought it with my pocket money when I was 12 and it's, it's all tattered and like I've had it for that long. You know what I mean? You've read it a few times. Oh, yeah, yeah. A few times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> however, you know, finding Anthony and, and, you know, finding yourself and you've opened up another big rabbit hole for me. I had no idea the amount of sightings, I mean, have you had an experience? That was going to be another question. No, I haven't. I, I, it's, it's, it's on my bucket list to, mm. uh, to have a sighting before I leave this mortal coil, if I'm fortunate enough. But um, I've never, never seen a UAP. I, I experienced what I thought was um, some form of paranormal activity a number of years ago where I was doing some editing on um, – because I, I studied f filmmaking mm -hmm. and I was doing some editing and I had a glass of cold water on my table and it, and it literally moved – um, quite a few inches uh, across wow. the table, and I was like, "Hang on, is there some some um, unknown force? You know, that's quite." But it turned out I did some homework, and the condensation on the uh, outside of the glass and underneath uh, oh, it's not it it's, slide. It's, it's not uncommon for it to slide. So I kind of came up with a prosaic explanation there, but ah. no, never never seen a UFO UAP, but um, would love to. And to. that's yeah. and that's why I'm fascinated whenever I chat with someone that that has because I, I really try and. Um, you know, put myself in their shoes as to what, what they were experiencing in that very moment. So, mm. yeah, I had, I had, my listeners have heard this, but I know you haven't. I had, I had, I've had two experiences. First one, 13, 14 in, I lived in Ballarat for a long time, mm -hmm. grew up in Ballarat, Victoria. And, uh, you know, back in the early nineties, we didn't have phones or anything. We actually used to lie on the driveway and look at the stars of a nighttime. Uh, and, yeah, me and a couple of friends lying on the driveway looking up at the stars and this thing starts sort of bouncing around the stars. Wow, jolting right? around. Yeah. Jolting around. And I'm like, what is that? I'm like, oh, dad's telescope. Dad had this little handheld telescope. Ran inside, 
came out, went to raise the telescope to try and look at this thing and gone. Just gone. Oh, wow. And like, yeah, yeah there was four of us there and everybody went, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Was it bouncing around the sky? I said, yes, it was bouncing around the sky. Wow. You know, and that's like, that was X-Files. That was all that time. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, that's really trippy. And then years later, this was about, what are we, 2022, seven years ago, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, had a Min Min Light experience in far western Queensland. Really? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Right. Where, long story short, traveling home very early in the morning, tired after a three-week swing and like two, three o'clock in the morning, middle of nowhere, western Queensland. Now, it, it, we were in oil and gas at that time, and it was our job to know where rigs were and all that sort of stuff. So we knew where all the stuff was. This big, long stretch of road, this light just comes on. Probably left-hand side, looked a few k's out, and we're like, there's nothing out there. The rail line's not there. There's no road out there. Mm. There's nothing out there. And this thing never moved, never got further away, never got closer. And it did feel like it was looking at us. And this went on for 10, 15 minutes to the point where like when it first started happening, we mentioned it. And then it's like, it's like, are you still seeing that light? Like we weren't real sure. You know what I mean? Like we weren't real sure if what we were seeing is what we were seeing. Yeah. And and then it's like, yeah, no, we that's actually happening. What's going on here? And it sort of started. And then as, as all of a sudden it just winked out and that's it. Um, wow. But it never got further away, never got closer, it never dimmed it never brightened it felt like it was watching us and then yeah it would have and made but, for an interesting car ride oh, for the yeah, rest but, of the several hours afterwards yeah, well, i imagine we you I couldn't stop thing, talking about it absolutely well you got to remember we're doing let's say 100 k's an hour 140 you know what i mean <laughs> so it's yeah. not like it's not you know what i mean like we, we traveled in that 15 minutes we traveled x amount of meters and it never did anything and we yeah, just right. stayed there it was very very odd uh yeah and the thing is if you actually ask people especially especially a lot of blokes that have done a lot of fifo work out in the bush and you know cow cockies and rangers and you know most people have a story don't they this is the whole point most people have seen something or felt something or um you know this phenomenon is is pervades our consciousness on so many levels you know, I, I thought about, you're talking about the bases. I mean, that's another common story. That's happened in Europe. That's happened in America. That's happened in, you know, yeah. in all over the place where these things will come over, they'll switch stuff off or they'll stop a launch or whatever, whatever. Mm. And again, I mean, the other question would be as well, Grant, why now? Why reveal this stuff now? Is it, is there a, is it part of the manipulation process that we're all going through? Or is it, you know, where, why was it coming out now? Why are they, is it now becoming undeniable? It's, it's interesting stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I often, I, I've often wondered that question, uh, you know, and, and what people are seeing seems to be um, not always comparable with what's been cited in the past. Uh, yeah. So if you have, like I'd take the McMinnville incident, for example, the McMinnville photo you have in the 50s and the 60s, you know, and, and is there a, is culture informing what people's, is culture informing what people see or is what people see informing culture? It could be yeah. one or, or both. I mean, yeah. the flying, the classic flying saucer, you know, was that, yeah. was that something that was, um, 
largely informed by you know what what people were seeing in the sci-fi movies of the 50s and 60s mm. versus uh you know a lot of now we've kind of gone to more of a tic tac uh you know, your shape and plasma mm. uh shapes yeah, and, squares and not necessarily squares defined by a shape and, yeah, with what people are seeing these yeah. you know min min lights is an example of that so i don't know it's it's interesting to see how the um, how ufology and what people are reporting uh, of, of seeing has evolved over the over the years, mm. um, you know, could could misidentification be a big part of it? Could hoaxing be a big part of it? Mm-hmm. Could the fact that more people are just simply um, more prone to when they look up at the sky, they've got they've got a device on them that they can use to capture something? Uh, in the moment, you know, versus a, a an analog camera back in the fifties. You know, digital cameras cameras didn't really have a lot of moving parts back then. They certainly weren't digital. But these days, every everyone has a phone that they can just point at the sky and take an image. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to ponder and speculate why um, there seems to be a significant uptick in the number of reports and cases. Is it because uh, yeah, we, we now simply have greater technology at our disposal to detect these things and, mm. and, and photograph these things than we have in the past. Could be. Or is it, I just had a bit of a thought then, I mean, because obviously, you know, World War II, the Foo Fighters and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's some fascinating stories with that where like these fighter planes are not fighting each other. They're fighting these weird things in the sky. And, you know, you talk about the military bases. I mean, let's face it, as much as we like to escape into our content creation and stuff like that, the earth is in an interesting place right now. You know what I mean? Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, good to observe us in this time of chaos. I mean, this is the other thing too. Are these things drones? Are they, you know, I mean, I can't, you know, you talked about the flying saucers. I can't leave that one alone without asking you whether you know about Otis Carr or Otis T. Carr. No, I'm not not familiar with, uh, Ooh, with, you with need that individual. To. Okay, I just need to well, do some homework on that. Unlocking the code, mate. About a year ago, there's back to back to back episodes on Otis Car. I recommend okay. that you take some oh, time one. because my listeners have heard enough of that. However, long story short, he built a UFO or UAP mm-hmm. using um, technology and understanding of magnetics and propulsion that came from Tesla. Otis Car was a protege of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very, very fascinating story to all by all reports. And from all the research that I've seen that I did during that, and, and again, that's another t- subject, right? So, a year ago, it was hard to find stuff on Otis Car through mm. general Google searches and stuff like that. You go on Google now, and it's like the floodgates have been opened. There's so much. Um, I've got the blueprints for his OTC X1 um, craft. Wow. On my other computer. And uh, when was this? What, what, um, 50s. What, right in the 50s. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The 50s. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the 50s too, Grant, and you talk about anti gravity tech. You can pull up again National Archives, mainly from the US, but in the early 50s, it was like anti gravity is the next big thing. It'll be the next technology. And then somewhere around 54, 55, it just disappears and mm. no more talk about anti gravity, um, which, you know, like you said, 75 years, right, since the, you know, famed Roswell. Uh, 
maybe they had captured craft or maybe they, you know, and they saw it had anti-gravity tech and they thought they could reverse engineer it. Um, mm. And maybe they couldn't. I mean, you know, that, that the other question I like to like, uh, that I like to ask researchers like yourself, mate, is where do you, Bob Lazar, where do you, where do you land with Bob? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I'd um, had a chat with um, gentlemen that I interviewed on my live stream not long before my channel. And, you know, I think a lot of people will shut Bob, Bob Lazar's story down because they see a big red flag with uh, the education piece, the fact mm. that they can't find any record of him ever studying at MIT or any of, you know, there's no record of his, uh, his tertiary education that he alleges. But I don't think you could write off his story solely on that because if he worked for um, Skunk you know, Works, yeah. a top secret um, project, then I doubt that, <laughs> you know, whoever he works for or some, uh, if it was a, an, an, an uh, you know, uh, 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 some sort of deep, yeah, yeah, works or yeah, something like that. If it was that. a if it was a wave unacknowledged special access program back then, then mm. it I can't imagine you would find any record of him having ever no. undertaken any education. That stuff's mm. going to be under lock and key by um by you know the gatekeepers in the government. I do th what I find interesting about Bob Lazar is that. He had an opportunity if he was if he's been lying this whole time, you would think that when you're in front of a judge being, you know, uh, potentially doing with the potential of doing jail time for uh, what was it pandering and solicitation when he was involved yeah. in in the in the brothel business uh, in the 90s. He didn't change his story, even no. when he was in front of the judge, you know, he everything stays He's the same never ever changed his story and, and that's yeah. what and that's what's fascinating about bob lazar is that he has never changed uh his story in the years ever since he came out under the guise of under the cover of darkness as dennis yeah, yeah, you know yeah. on that and, interview yeah, 1989 with, with george naff yeah. 89 um he hasn't changed his story uh, sure there may be, be subtle differences or, or subtle nuances with uh, things that change over time, but that could be you could put that down to someone's memory just changing mm. over time as well. So I'm I'm still very much I want to believe Bob Lazar's story because I find it an incredibly fascinating one. Yeah. Uh, and you know the the element 115 mm -hmm. uh, is is intriguing and the fact that uh, you know he reported seeing uh, nine craft that had been recovered one from an archaeological archaeological yeah. dig. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of aspects to Bob Lazar's story that are incredibly fascinating. Chris, Chris Lado um, always says, you know, trust, but verify. And I yes. think that's a, a great mantra to go by, but mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. we can, there's, a, there's unfortunately not a lot to Bob's story that can be verified, and that's the... But the, interestingly, at the same time, Grant, there's a lot of stuff that has been verified, like the scanners and the, you know... There's that is true. Pieces you, of you raise a really good point, yeah. And obviously his, his W-2 form, even yeah. though people question the veracity of that document, mm. um, you know, the fact that he, he knew where to go uh, at a certain day of the week at a certain yeah, time have UFO hosting to, parties to, on a to, yeah, yeah. to take his friends out and see things in the sky so there's a lot of pieces to bob lazar's story that i think uh are worth um you know 
continuing to keep an open mind on and also the way yeah absolutely and also the way the tic tacs behave and all yeah. those sort of stuff like he echoes that i mean look i believe bob however like you i want to believe so bad you know what i mean i, I really really do which because of the years and thousands of hours of research like you said i like trust but verify that's really good we work on the one percent rule, right? What if one percent of what he, what if one percent of any theory is true? I think that's fair enough, right? You always question, you know mm. what I mean? Always question. We like to say around here, Grant, that we're sophomaniacs, mate. A, a, a sophomaniac is someone who has the delusion that they're intelligent, mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Well. Um, uh, if- we we you know we, we don't know what we don't know a lot of the times and mm. I mean I think uh, yeah Bob Bob's a fascinating character and from what what I've seen of him in the interviews that he was, he has given yeah uh, he's he certainly doesn't come across that I mean I think if he wanted to be in this for the fame and the fortune he's yeah. had every opportunity to do that but okay he 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 authored a book um documenting his experience which was uh which was you know the release of that was funded by um by ttsa which Mm. i don't think is uh, necessarily a a red flag um but i think if if bob really wanted to um take advantage of um you know historian manipulate the community into believing it Mm. in the interest of fame and fortune he hasn't taken that opportunity yeah yeah he's remained he's remained v- relatively recluse i mean he's mm. got he's got his business uh united nuclear which i think he's very happy with and how that's doing um so the fact that he's kind of trying to live as much of a normal life as he could as he possibly could and needs ra- to be, yeah and it needs to be said too that with the netflix thing any anything he got from that he actually donated it to the local high school to build a new science lab for that school yeah so he didn't even pocket the cash from the the Netflix documentary. Where no, so you would think you, you know, would, you know, like it's totally fine if you did, you know. However, he didn't, and he never no. has. Uh, and I mean, you know, there's, there's, I mean, in some of the early documentaries that were done on him, I think it was uh, there were some creative choices that probably the producers of that documentary made, where he, he rocks up a dirt road in a in a Corvette. Yeah, uh, you know, which looks a bit of a to, in this day and age looks like a bit of a wank, um, but you know that's probably a decision that the the producers made to kind of uh, sex up his story a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I, I don't um, rule Bob out at all. I think mm-hmm. uh, his his story is certainly one worth keeping an open mind on. And because if 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 things come out that I mean if you know, with what's going on at the moment with the US Congress, with the hopefully eventual signing of the Intelligence Authorization Act, where Congress is going to start calling up uh, whistleblowers that have knowledge of a lot of these. Yeah, and they don't have, they, they don't, they don't have, rec- they, they, they can't be affected by it. They, they, there's like no, they, yeah, there's, there's any, any reprisal mm. legislation and whistleblower protections that are going to be put in place. Mm. And I mean, I would just love the day that, um, Eric Davis and Admiral Tom Wilson are called up in front of Congress, probably behind closed doors, to uh, get to the bottom of the Wilson Davis notes once and for all. Because if there was a crash retrieval program that the US government has been uh, running, operating successfully since Roswell 75 years ago, then you know that potentially adds some 
credence to maybe some of the things that uh, Bob Lazar has spoken yeah, about at yeah. um, at you know at, at a secure installation offshoot of Area Fifty One at S Four. Mm, so S Four, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I would love to. Um, I would love to see more information come out on Bob's corroborative evidence mm. that comes out on Bob's mm. story. Uh, and from what you hear uh, Jeremy Corbell say uh, occasionally from time to time, along with George Knapp, that there's more information that hasn't been revealed or released on Bob yes. Lazar that yeah. could potentially add a bit more credibility uh, in in the eye of those uh, that are a little bit leaning to he's just in it for the fame and the fortune or they don't really know his story. So Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I, I think, mean, I Bob believes Bob and I want to believe Bob, so we'll believe Bob. I think that's where we'll – Yeah. You know, I, I I find him to be a fascinating fascinating individual, and and I certainly don't rule him out based on just the education, the lack of education. Well, I know that um, I know Joe, I know Joe Rogan has said on the podcast a few times about Bob, where he's basically said, "Listen, the education thing, don't worry about it." He goes, "I can't tell you what Bob tell me told me because I said I wouldn't." However, I understand that if you heard what Bob actually did, like you say, some underground skunk works. Who knows? you know, propulsion. You've got to remember the guy strapped a rocket and a jet motor to most things. You know what I mean? Like he just did that for fun. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think that's, yeah. I, and I agree. I agree. It's a very fascinating story. You know, I think Jeremy Corbell's work is very fascinating. I think um, it was a shame the, the, to the stars Academy didn't really do much. And now blink One Eighty Two is back out all of a sudden charging $4 billion for a ticket. Uh, oh. However, um, yeah, there's so much, so much stuff. Let's bring it back home. Let's bring it back down under. So your key part of what you're trying to do, and I was trying to follow the links to do my own letter to my senator, mate. Don't worry. Uh, cool. I, I will, I'll be doing that. Uh, good man. Very in good. In the future. Just need to do it on my computer, I think. I've got to bring it up and do it on the computer. Um, and I'll be doing that. However, Australia officially... So what's what's the word? They officially investigated. What was the program? When did it stop? When did it start? What what information have you found about our program that we? Yeah, have? well, so interestingly, Australia has had almost as long of a history investigating uh, UFOs or UAP now as as much as the US has, hmm. um, because the the Royal Australian Air Force for many decades uh, from the fifties through to you know, uh, the the mid nineties um, had a formal policy that was called the unusual aerial sightings policy that they, they referred to it as UAS uh, in in Australia as opposed to to UFO and UAS is not a is terminology that's been used uh, by actually the US many many decades ago so for a long time Australia had an, an unusual aerial sightings policy. And it was within the remit of the Royal Australian Air Force to investigate, uh, to record and report on UAS, UFO incidents. Mm. Um, uh, and they had, um, you, know, uh, 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 you know, one of the roles of folks, personnel that worked in the Royal Australian Air Force was to investigate a lot of these reports that were coming in because there was significantly a, uh, a, a decent chunk of them uh, from all of those military installation sites that I talked about in the past and a lot of reports coming in from the general public. And in 1996, 
um, following policy recommendation from Brett Biddington in 1993, in 1996, the Royal Australian Air Force uh, ceased investigating UFOs. They said, no, we we find, uh, and in you know air quotes, we find no compelling or uh, no scientific or other compelling reason to further devote resources to the investigation of um, it's weather balloons, U- mate. U- UFOs. Lots, and lots of weather balloons. Yeah, they said no. We can't. That basically, uh, I said we can't. We can't identify. We we can't explain three percent of the reports that come in. So we're just going to abandon our analysis of this uh, this topic, and we're going to refer people that want to report a UFO, whether they're members of the general public or military personnel refer them to their local law enforcement. So basically call the cops and report that you've seen a UFO. What are the cops going to do about it, to be honest, other than take a, a, a police statement? Uh, or reach out to your civilian UFO organization, like the MUFONs and yeah. uh, you know the various uh, organizations that have been in operation around the country for decades. So mm. the, you know, the fact that the Royal Australian Air Force was unable to explain 3% of the cases that they investigated do we have a number of how many they reported is there any it was in the thousands it was over the course of the the decades that they investigated uh uas ufo it was in the thousands and and keith basterfield did a really good comprehensive uh report on the uh australia's history with you know uas ufo the the australian government's uh involvement in it over those decades Mm. but i mean the fact that they can't identify 3% of the things that they've investigated to me is enough of a compelling reason to devote resources to uh, the recording and reporting of it going forward. I mean, that's hundreds of incidents. If you know, if it's in the thousands, that's hundreds of incidents that are unable to be explained. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So um, 25th of June of last year, the, uh, the office of the director of national intelligence releases its preliminary assessment on unidentified aerial phenomena and indicated that of the 144 reports of UAP uh, from US government sources over the over a date range of 2004 through to uh, late 2021, they were only, an, only able to identify one of those 144 cases. So they had a success rate of less than 1% in identifying uh, what these things actually are. So so 99% of the the things that they received, that they looked at, they were unable to explain. Now that figure has now since blown out to above and beyond 400 reports from US government sources now since the the UAP UAP, um, task force that then went on to uh, AOI MSG and and Mm. now it's since gone to Arrow, the All Domains Resolution Office. uh, the acronyms change all the time, so I can't really remember. But so I reached out to uh, Roger Stankovic, um, and if I pronounced his name wrong, sorry, Roger. Uh, I inquired Go, Roger. with with him. So he's the director of MUFON ANZ, and I asked him. I said, you know, out of interest, how many how many reports did MUFON ANZ receive across a comparable comparable date range that the UAP UAPTF you know, the UAP task force looked at uh, in you know, same, compiling... Same similar time range, yeah. Yeah, compiling their, their report, preliminary assessment. And Roger confirmed that from 2004 to late 2021 or, or the start of this year, there were 1,158, I believe, 
reports submitted to MUFON ANZ. And sure, okay, uh, you know, understandably, there'll be a large percentage of those that can be attributed to misidentification, um, you know, prosaic explanations and so on. But even if you take that, that figure of 1,158, if you take 3%, of that figure, which is uh, apparently the percentage that the Royal Australian Air Force gave as to they weren't yeah, able I mean, to explain yeah. of all of the reports they investigated. 3% of 1,158, that's still about 35 cases. So mm. if there's 35 true unknowns, mm. uh, true UAP that are flying with impunity in Australian uh, airspace, yeah. both restricted and commercial, then that should be enough of a compelling reason, including the fact that our US ally and Five Eyes partner was not able to identify 143 out of 144 cases of UOP. UOP. That should be enough of a compelling reason to revisit your position, formally revisit your position on UAP. And the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force has completely ignored um, the findings of the uh, of ODNI's preliminary assessment, uh, they haven't looked at the they haven't seen any of the classified data in the classified version of ODNI's preliminary assessment, nor have they looked at any UFO data since 1996 because they ceased investigation of the topic. So how can they make a determination that no, there's nothing? Move along, folks. There's nothing to see here when they're clearly not even uh, willing to look at the data that uh, the strongest military power in the, on the planet has uh, amassed over uh, a, a significant date range collection. Mm. And that absolutely mind boggles me. Why is the Australian Department of Defence uh, not taking this topic seriously when it clearly poses uh, potential national security issues and... Oh, it's a safe, clear and present threat. Absolutely. And, and more importantly, safety of flight issue, not mm. just for military aviators, but also for commercial pilots and general aviation pilots. Mm. Uh, and I think the Australian Department of Defence is doing a massive disservice to members of the Australian Defence Force by not giving them sensible say-something, see-something mechani reporting mechanisms yeah. that they can put in place uh, to report UAP because at the moment, the do you only think, reporting. Though, do you think that there's no program? I mean, I don't. Well, publicly, there's no what... official program. So what we're told publicly might be very different to what we're what is told behind uh, closed doors. But mm. at the moment, so the Defence um, Aviation Safety Authority DASA mm. uh, and the, the commercial equivalent is the is the Civil Aviation Casa, Authority yeah. CASA. So the only reporting mechanisms that exist across those two bodies is if um, if uh, a pilot experience or you know folks on the ground um, identify um, a near collision, so near miss, near miss, an incident or an accident, uh, that's what they are required to report. Yeah. If they observe a UAP, which could become a safety of flight issue because it could become a, a near miss. They're not required. There is no special encouragement given to pilots and aviators to report mm. uh, a UAP. Uh, and there is no reporting mechanism that currently exists to uh, enable them to do that. So there's still, I think, a very much 
um, a, a level of stigma and ridicule that's associated with the topic. Mm. The fact that I'm sure that there are a lot of military aviators and commercial pilots out there that have seen something, mm. but they haven't said anything because one, they don't have a mechanism to say something or report it. And two, a if stigmatism they, around and, it. yeah, and if they do raise it with their higher ups, uh, the joke's going to be, they'll be the joke of the, you know, of the independence of the, day we're playing at the base. That yeah, night. exactly. Yeah, cue the X Files music, and you'll start getting um, you know ridicule and 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 jokes being made, and there's fear of reprisals that you yeah. might not get a promotion, or you know I, I think that's still the and to their credit, the the Pentagon is making a concerted effort to uh, to to you know lower the stigma or mm. crumble the walls of stigma that have long associated, long plagued. I mean, he's hoping. He's, he's hoping. I mean, because that sort of go, leads into like. Everyone needs to go listen to Ryan Graves. He's on Friedman's podcast and Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, both of those things are well worth a listen. However, yeah, he was talking about he's an F-18 pilot. You know, they're spotting these things over the ocean, half a dozen a day. There was a couple of near misses. You know, one flew in between two fighters. Uh, you know, they kept going to cat points. They kept jamming radar. They'd rock. They'd see these things on radar, go there, and it wasn't there. Um, so that's all compelling. And it all adds to the pile. But what I immediately thought of, because I'd always come back to Australia, we have the same fighters, Grant. We have the same F-18 Super Hornet fighters with the upgraded radar that would have been trickled down through the through the fleet to mm -hmm. our current, you know, obviously F-35s again would be better again. However, uh, the F-18 fighters that he was flying back in 2014, we fly now. I mean, I see them in and out of Ambly all the time. So then the question is, if they have the same radar technology, how many are they seeing? Right, mm. I mean, that are going unreported. That Absolutely, are going unreported. Right, and, I mean, and yeah, I mean, all you need to do is listen to Ross Coulthard, and and one of the things I admire about Ross Coulthard is that he's an investigative journalist, and and the the golden rule of investigative journalist journalism is you don't reveal your sources, mm. and so I think there are a lot of folks that are. Um, current active members of the armed forces and those that are maybe retired that are prepared, they're willing and prepared to come forward and talk to Ross uh, on or off the record because there is a level of comfort and assurance in their eyes knowing that Ross is not going to wrap me out if I, no. if I talk to him. And Ross has said repeatedly that, you know, he is still, he's, he continues to receive reports from current and former members of the Australian Defence Force that have um seen something they've they've you know experienced uh or sighted an anomalous object in in the line of duty or above a military installation so yeah. there's clearly clearly things are happening above our australian skies yeah. it's just not getting reported because yeah. there's no reporting mechanism and there's no special encouragement and there's still a degree of stigma that's associated with the topic down under Mm. I mean, and then if you go, as you say, mention Anthony from Encounters Down Under again, you, you you look at his work and all the people that have come forward and that he's talking to him, to. that he's yeah. talking to about all these experiences that these people have had. And again, not dissimilar. There's some different experiences, but a lot of them have common threads that run through them, which you find. But these common threads are not only here in Australia, but overseas as well. I mean, you know, that you we come to learn that Russia is quite interested in it as well. As we said, said France, France before, like European countries, everybody's reporting this thing. This, this is a, I don't understand Grant. Like I was talking to him, like I said, you know, there's craft in the air that can jam 
our signals at will, right? Which we saw with the the gimbal video. Mm. Um, we actually saw the symbols get jammed. Uh, the symbols, the signals get jammed, <laughs> right? Uh, they manoeuvre on a dime. They are anti-gravitic in their nature. They can descend from 70,000 feet, which we don't operate at, to 1,000 feet in a second, mm. which was reported many times through the radar operators out of the, you know, the Princeton. The Nimitz. The Nimitz yep. and all that sort of stuff. And again, that, that, that's, that wasn't an isolated incident. That's just the information that came out. It's now being said that that happens all the time. So it leads, I mean, it, it, it's hard not to be conspiracy minded. Like what is going, it's like, I was talking to a mate the other day and it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're seeing seven UFOs a day. Don't worry. Just prepare to bomb the desert. You'll be fine. Right. <laughs> there seems to be a cognitive dissonance there. It, it just makes you wonder, like, do they, do they know? Is it advanced drone technology? Like, like I wonder you know, in the, in the current level of chaos that we exist in and the, and the wrong speak and the disinformation and this, that, and the other, that we wake up one day and they go, oh, remember the Space Force that Trump created five years ago? Oh, yeah, we are working behind the scenes. We've got galactic spaceships now, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, just happened, right? Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be conspiracy-minded about some of this stuff, isn't it? I agree. It's the big question that I've got and a lot of people of uh, Australia have, and, and certainly the question that's on Senator Peter Wish Wilson's mind. And, and mm. to date, he's the only Australian senator that has publicly had the courage and gumption to ask questions about UFO, UOP in an Australian context. Mm. Why is the Australian Department of Defence not taking this topic seriously mm. when our US ally uh, and Five Eyes partner, and not just the US, but Canada, a Five Eyes partner, and UK, is also- And UK, as well, the UK. Unfortunately, the UK is very much um, in in step with Australia. The Australia and the UK uh, are, are not wanting to touch this issue. And the UK has got a history of absolutely, investigating this yeah. with, the, with the Condine report that came out and so on. But the UK and Australia are very mum on this topic. And there's there's a couple of reasons why I think that could be. One, is that this, the Royal Australian Air Force and Department of Defence is playing an ignorance is bliss uh, card. And they're well, thinking, the well, the Australian government's pretty good at that one. They've got that move down pat. If, just, if, just, just ignore it and don't worry about and it. And it will go away. And, and if we don't talk about it, then the public's not going to worry about it. Yeah. Um, that's, one, that's one option. That's, that's one scenario. Is it also the fact that if the Royal Australian Air Force was not able to explain 3% of the reports of UAP that it investigated throughout the course of its UAS policy. And now they revisit their position and start up a, a, a new similar program. Is that what will public perception be on that? Is that if the, if the goal of the Royal Australian Air Force is to maintain air dominance, and that is a clear statement that we don't have control over our, our skies no. by implementing a new program, is that going to result in a loss of confidence and trust uh, in the Australian public, that we don't know what's flying around our skies with impunity. There's that well, one. Well, I think I think number one, the loss of confidence and trust in the average Aussie of the government ha happened long ago. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that, that's uh, not a new thing. We already don't trust them at all. I agree with you. And um, I mean, so tell you, us I mean, about you the look UFOs, at, man. You know what I mean? The, no the, the, absolutely. And you look at the debacle of you know the Australian government forking out almost a billion dollars to the French government for its, you know, its botched, uh, you know, nuclear submarine, submarine contract. I mean, far out, give me a break. 
Um, so, you know, perceived um, lack of trust by the public uh, is certainly, it could be that there's also a degree of stigma, uh, you know, within the halls of uh, Australian government and defence leadership. I would not be surprised if there are folks that, I mean, I've got, I've got proof of that. I mean, the uh, Freedom of Information Act documents that I've secured the release of um, clearly show that there are select members of the, um, the the Australian Department of Defence that are still treating the topic like a joke. Yeah. They're they're making jokes about it uh, in in emails and written correspondence. So there are folks that are clearly not taking it seriously. Um, I mean, you know, if you to believe Jeremy Corbell as well, like these things operating over military. Uh, operations now as well like apparently they, they'd 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 see him in iraq they'd see him in syria like where all these military operations are taking place they would be actively observing um i mean this thing as i say it's faster it can it is it is a clear and present threat you would think or to and that's what ryan graves was saying so listen it's not about the fact that i'm a ufo nut it's about the fact that there's a craft in the sky that i can't explain and i'm a fighter pilot it's my job to defend the skies and no one wants to talk about this stuff no one wants to explore exactly what it is and where it actually came from right yeah and that's why i say i think it's a huge disservice that the the u.s department of defense has been guilty of for a long time uh and you know by the australian the royal australian air force not taking this topic seriously and not implementing sensible say something say say something reporting mechanisms mm. they're, they're potentially um going to be uh that's that's potentially a massive breach of duty of care because if if there if we know that ufos are real because uh the u.s government has told us that the other issue it, though is in a grant is that i don't think the more the U.S. government releases, the more question, the more questions I have as well. I don't trust them either. That's the other problem. Like, how much is disinformation that they're releasing? That's true, us? and and I wouldn't be surprised if there is a big element um, of uh, top secret technology. You know, black broad. Black that was going to be my next budget. question. I mean, how what percentage of this stuff do you think is actual um, advancement in technology? I mean, if you think from nineteen, okay, so let's take Bob Lazar's story, right? Nineteen eighty nine, they still couldn't harness or understand how to operate the motor that operated the UAP and UFOs. Mm -hmm. That was 33 years ago, right? So how have they cracked the code on the element 115 or have they cracked the code on the, the fusion, the magnetic generator that causes these things to propel? Have they been able to reverse engineer more than we understand? I mean, what, what percentage do you think is that? I mean, is it I, I certainly think it is a percent. There is, a percentage of UFO reports can certainly be attributed to um, technology that top secret technology that is being tested. You know, without a doubt, there is there is technology that's coming out of private aerospace that's being tested, um, whether it be over civilian, uh, you know, in over civilian airspace, or or you know that people are, could, because they want to test what is the public's reaction going to be. Um, to a craft of this nature. So I would not be surprised if there is top secret technology that's being tested that people are identifying or reporting as, as UAP. But if so, if I can kind of highlight, there's a um, gentleman by the name of, I don't know if you've heard of gentleman by the name of Frank Milburn. He's uh, UK counterintelligence and that has its own issues in itself. Mm. Um, but he, his 
um, contacts have informed him, if you believe what he says to be true, that, um, and this goes along with what, um, you know, folks like um, uh, uh, Ross Coulthard and Louis, Louis Lazondo and Chris Mellon and, and others have said is that, and even Eric Davis, that if, if there is um, a, a crash retrieval program that the US government has in fact had since say Roswell, and that the programs have been that compartmentalized that everything operates in these silos and there's no collaboration, no one talks to one another, and they basically shelve their analysis for at decades at a time because they can't they can't understand how the technology works yeah, and they what can't is, what it even is yeah they, they can't efficiently reverse engineer it i mean that's exactly what frank milburn's been saying that his sources have told him that the us government has been able to reverse engineer and in, in air quotes a shitty version of a uap yeah. so i'm i would not be surprised if there is if there is in fact a crash retrieval program and we have attempted to reverse engineer this technology that um, our efforts have maybe not failed completely but mm. we're not able to replicate the the five observables that these uh these craft you know they they seemingly defy the law of known physics mm. uh, so I, I certainly suspect that there is an element of this that can absolutely be attributed to uh you know waived unacknowledged special access programs and and black black budget technology that I mean, if you look at Area 51, Area 51 was responsible for for producing the U-2, um, the, was it they, the, 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 yeah, the, the, yeah. the Blackbird, you know, and SR-71, um, yeah. SR and, and you've got the stealth fighter and, and the general public didn't know about those technologies or those crafts for several decades no. after they'd come off the production no. line. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, what we're, what what private aerospace is able to do today mm. uh, would certainly be you know pretty pretty crazy if you were to see something in the sky. Well, I mean uh, the um, the B two the big wedge stealth bomber. Um, look, it was very very. It, it's been down under. I don't know if it came down to Melbourne, but it's been doing exercises here in Brisbane this year. And right. I've never seen one of those things up close. Mm. It doesn't look like it should be able to fly. Uh, like I, it came over my house pretty low because mm. I'm not far from Amberley Air Base. And the interesting thing about that is that the cross section of it's unbelievable. Like you watch it fly away and it yeah. just disappears because yeah, it's so right. thin because it's just so thin. It's just a big wedge. The wafer. Yeah. Just a wafer. And it's just like you watch it and it's gone, but mm. you hear it and it's very quiet. Like there's a whole heap of weird tech about that. I mean, the other thing is too, Grant, you, you've got to go into um, what did we get from the Nazis at the end of World War II? I mean, Hitler was very, very deep into the... Oh, the yeah, he was... UFO, he was the, the occult and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, the... the, the deep into that stuff. Yeah, secret machines and what they were able to... I mean, you know, there's there's so many stories of... I mean, you have the Nazi bell, the... Yeah, the bell, uh, yeah. The, the Glock, you know, um, I mean again that's 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 there's a lot of um uh, mystery and intrigue are, uh, associated with that uh conversation in itself but i mean it is interesting that you have all of these uh these prominent uh german scientists recruited by the us which uh end up being part of um uh, you know, the, and, yeah, the, the, the whole, yeah paper op operation, operation paperclip, paperclip yeah. uh to to develop in complete secrecy 
the the atomic bomb and you have then uh uh warner von brown who if you believe uh um i don't believe everything that dr stephen greer says but if you believe what he says to be true and that warner von brown told his assistant um carol rosen on his deathbed that um you know there is this uh this false flag uh event that uh, the the gatekeepers of this technology uh, are trying to um, bring to fruition with this uh, this this cosmic hoax of an alien um, invasion. Yeah. That uh, it's it's all basically um, an an effort or a ploy to continue to fund the 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 military industrial, industrial complex. complex yeah. And uh, and I mean you know war is. Uh, War is what makes um, yeah, there is money in war. So if you yeah. can keep if you can keep the military alive and throw funding their way, and and yeah. that's why there are there are some fears, you know, that the effort that has been undertaken to what degree, to what extent, no one knows. Is is there a part of it that is just a a massive ploy or a manipulation to have the U.S. government invest? billions if not trillions of dollars into the space force so that they yeah. can maintain uh, a competitive advantage and or, or as Danny Sheen often says global spectrum dominance so yeah. um, is that an element of it as well so it's you know there are so many sides uh, you know the, the both sides of the coin I think have validity to them but again what's truth what's half truth mm. what's misdirection what's um, misinformation mm. That's that's it's hard to sift through the BS sometimes because it is, we absolutely. simply don't know. Well, look, firstly, yeah. mate, don't worry about saying BS. You know, sometimes shit needs to be fucking. <laughs> you okay? can just get the bullshit out there. Okay, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> don't, don't, it's okay. Yeah. We don't swear much. Uh, however, we need to swear. It's okay. We we'll get it uh, out. It's all right. Um, we're Aussies, mate. We can't not swear. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, oh, we're, as, we're, uh, we're pretending if we don't. <laughs> exactly. And if people don't like it, as, as Ross Coulthard loves to say, fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's not, yeah, we're not, we're not, it's not F-bombs every two seconds. No. However, look, I think you're totally right. Uh, I was just sort of thinking, where do I want to take this conversation next? We've covered some amazing ground. And, you know, the question, it's hard not to see a false flag. Um, because, you know, that's another dark rabbit hole that you don't want to go down. I've been down that one. You know, you learn that, you know, Operation Northwoods, you've got um, the Vietnam War, I can't remember that one. You've got just some twisted, mm. twisted stuff that has taken place uh, as false flags to implement different things. I mean, you, you talk about the military-industrial complex. If you look at, you know, there's Dwight, D. Eisenhower's like final speech, um, mm -hmm. that amazing speech that he gave about the military industrial complex. And we see it in evidence now. I mean, I did a, 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 I've got a couple of us boys that do some work with me and you know, those guys come with receipts and it's the stuff that they're showing me about, you know, this, this complex that exists to wage war on, on humanity, basically. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there is that there's going to be a false flag. So, you know, we can fight the aliens and the aliens are us or, um, but what I thought, I mean, I thought we'd go, well, I thought I'd just ask you. Okay. So 
objective perspective aside, right? So objective perspective aside, making sure, because I do the same, mate. Any of the subjects that I talk about, I've looked at both sides of the argument and I've decided which side I fall. Um, which is important. Always, I think you have to you, you have to look at every, you've got to keep everything on the table and 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 be willing to change that perspective exactly, when new information comes along. Exactly, because our own you know, confirmation bias sits with us all the time and you, mm. you have to look at all pieces of the puzzle. Sometimes no matter how crazy they may look and sound at face value, you know. Mm. So speaking of crazy, so let's step out of objective perspective, right? What is your personal thoughts about where these things come from? You know, where, where, what are they, where these things come from? What is your personal perspective? Yeah, so I, I, I actually think uh, I'm, I've listened to quite a lot of the, the, the stuff that Michael Masters has talked about, and I'm actually interviewing a gentleman on my, um, my channel uh, next month, um, uh, a good friend who's, um, he's a veteran, he's an engineer, um, and he's kind of self-taught on theoretical physics. And he mm. has come up with um, a theory that um, what a lot of uh, UAP that are being reported and seen are actually, you know, um, quantum echoes of future humans, of, yeah, of, right. of us in the future, uh, because they have mastered quantum travel and they've been able to manipulate um, you know the uh, space time uh, continuum yes space time and and you know um, the the Higgs boson field that that may be associated with uh, with that that's what gives matter its mass so they're able mm. to you know uh, unlock you know they have the technology in their future to to um, do a lot of the things that UAP are reported of doing the five five observables, and they're being observed in our present. So they're mm. they're they're us in the future uh, that are able to that have mastered uh, to a degree some form of time travel. So there there's a, so many questions that I've got that I'm going to ask Brad Voorhees when I um, sit down with him next month. But I think that's um that's an element to it that uh, I want to explore and mm. and and learn a little bit more about. But I don't I don't discredit that it could also be extraterrestrial, interdimensional, ultra-terrestrial, mm. uh, as well as top-secret technology. I have a sneaking suspicion that it actually could be all of those things. Yeah, I was going to say D or the above, yeah. Exactly. I don't think it's limited to... You've now got a smorgasbord of, of possible explanations as to what UAPR and who is piloting them. I mean, mm. you've got Van, Neu Van Neumann probes as well, self-replicating AI, mm. that if... Uh, if there is a, a, a intelligent non-human uh, non-human intelligence or extraterrestrial intelligence that mm. uh, is is sending you know probes capable of uh, of interstellar travel that can self-replicate um, that you know th that is possible possibly an explanation for what's being observed as well. I mean, mm. who knows? Uh, yeah, I think it's just the, the possibilities of what it could be is is so much greater than just ET. Absolutely. Yeah, and look way to tell me everything without telling me anything. I appreciate that answer. Um, <laughs> but no, look, I agree with you. The thing is, it, you know, the other question is they're always going into the ocean. What's under the ocean, right? This is or most of these tic-tacs and these 
you know, the five observables that we see with these military fighters so far that we understand the vast majority are over the ocean. And, you know, we always seem to forget because, you know, we, you know, whatever the distraction is at the moment, that we know less about our oceans than we do about our near earth space. hundred percent. I mean, you know, we, we, I mean, the Mariana Trench, you know, who's James Cameron's been down there for a a short period of time, but we, we, we know less about what's within the earth than uh, we do. Um, You know, we, we know more about what's on the face of the earth or in our skies than we do what's in the earth and under our Mm -hmm. oceans. I mean, what's so special about the ocean that uh, attracts a lot of these, UAP is that, you know, some people suggest that maybe their propulsion system is very much hydrogen based and there's an abundance of hydrogen uh, in the oceans. So is that something that they're having, they're using as a a fueling mechanism or a fueling station? Who who knows? But it is it is interesting that you certainly have um, an abundance of reports of UAP appearing across bodies of water mm. um, and in the water as well, you know, mm. transmedium craft yeah, above yeah. Uh, above military uh, installations in restricted airspace and less less um, less over, um, you know, uh, civilian uh, areas. I mean, you s- certainly get reports of UAP uh, over civilian airspace. But again, is it because we simply don't have the same level of technology that our military brothers and sisters do yeah, to detect got, a lot yeah, of the stuff. Radar they've, and... they've got all the toys. We've just got a smartphone and a telescope, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, from my perspective, the research that I sort of do, you know, the other thing about the ultra terrestrial is that I think the, the linear, you know, we were cavemen in loincloths and then now we're the most awesome version of ourselves that's ever existed. It's patently untrue and, you know, we don't want to start that conversation now. However, long story short, I, I do believe that, you know, the human race or, or even multiple civilizations, Grant, as well, like, you know, we don't, we're focused on homo sapiens sapiens because that's who we are. However, you know, who knows? We, if, the earth, if the earth is truly three and a half billion years old, as they say it is, we've got no idea, right? I mean... You know, we take into account the, uh, you know, as my one of my offsiders says, it helps out with the podcast. The dinosaurs were here for 130 million years. What did they do? You know, like mm. did they never evolve? That might be a crazy question, but is it? You know what I mean? Like it's it, you've got to ask these questions. And I think the you know the human, even the Homo sapiens sapiens in the last whatever it is two million years, I think now we're sort of saying, uh, how many times did we go up and down? Mm. Right. Um, you know, we took 150 years to go from horseback to landing on the moon. You're saying in what, you know, 150, 200, 300,000 years that we did nothing. We were just mm. bows and arrows. Yeah. You know, there, there's a cycle of time that a galactic cycle of time grant that we exist under that needs to be observed. However, the thing is, if you were to survive cataclysm, okay, we talk about what's underneath the earth, the underneath the ocean. The ocean would be one of the most stable places to survive a cataclysm that was on the surface of the planet, right? Also, one of the things that we find all over the planet is tunnel systems. There is tunnel systems under most continents. Uh, There's apparently a tunnel system that runs from the Mediterranean all the way through to the UK. Mm, There's an underground system. 
you know, the, the Hopi, the Hopi Indians is the, is the good one where it's like the, these people came out from under the earth, right? Got the Hopi, took them under the ground and said, listen, there's big trouble coming, come under the ground with us and we'll let you back out when it's safe to get back out again. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the prominent story, but that's another story that's echoed across other indigenous cultures. So what if there has, you know, the other one that they saw the other day, they're doing, you know, they're doing like basically massive ground penetrating radar trying to get to the core and they're finding inland oceans and inland uh, caverns that are massive, right? That classic geology, the, the, the magna ball, the magna, the magna, the magna, and the, you know, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got no idea. We've got no idea. It's uh, it, it kind of brings to mind that that classic movie, you know, Journey to the Center of the Earth. I remember mm. watching that as a kid mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there. I mean, if you look at, you know, you talk about, you know, Homo sapiens sapiens. I mean, it wasn't too long ago, certainly in our lifetime, that Homo floriensis uh, was discovered yeah. in in where is it off? Um, oh, in if, Indonesia. In, yeah. in Indonesia, and you have. I mean, I, I, another big interest of mine is, um, you know, following the the uh, reports of, of Yowie, or also known as Bigfoot or Sasquatch yep. or, yep. Uh, you know, and I think... Um, Australopithecus, yeah. Or even Gigo, Gigantopithecus, you know, which was a, yeah. a 10 plus feet. And, you know, the fact that there are reports of a, a bipedal hominid that has been seen in all corners of the globe that's managed to avoid human detection mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, I mean, how long have they potentially, if they do exist, how long have they shared the planet with, with Homo sapiens sapiens? Well, the other know, one, so. the other one you can't, and this is an interest is a, an episode, a few episodes back now, we're in part of this book that we're doing. Max looks at um, evidence of dragons and dinosaurs, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, draw me a dinosaur. If you don't know what a dinosaur looks like, mm. right? Draw okay. me one. If you don't know what one is, okay. Understanding that paleontology for dinosaurs has only been around for a couple of hundred years, max, right? There's these eco stones that have like brontosaurus carved into them. There's, mm. there's um, evidence of pterosaurs um, messing with communities in the jungles and this sort of stuff. Like where does a dragon come from? Again, draw a dragon for me. If you didn't, you know, all the stories of dragons, if you didn't see one, draw one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we have such detailed pictures or, you know, whether they be drawings, but again, draw one for me if you don't know what it looks like. Mm. There's so, I mean, there's so much evidence of that. And the other people, the other thing that people don't get, I mean, we get, I think we get it more down under because of the size of Australia. And if those of us that have done a little bit of traveling, we understand truly how big this place is right and then if australia is that big then how big is the world like Mm. you know you think about african continent on most globes africa is misrepresented for its size it's much larger than it looks um on most globes in order to fit the continent on the ball basically there's no way that we've walked every inch of this planet even now right there's no way i mean they still find tribes every now and again oh. in the middle of the jungle that have never yeah. seen anything, you know, they're still using bow and arrow and spears and stuff. Um, we don't understand. And the thing is D everything is possible. And that's, it. that's a healthy perspective to have, but again, it comes back to, you know, these admirals and these, again, I don't think it's the, the presidents per se. 
because Australia has the same issue. It's the internal bureaucracy, right? There's people that have been in the Australian government for 40 years. Mm. And how many prime ministers have they been through? It's mm. just the next puppet that floats in and out every couple of years. doesn't make any difference. You still do your job. You do whatever you need to do. And that's where it gets tied up, I think, in a lot of these countries of evidence of all this stuff, right? But then the question is, if they know, why aren't they telling us, right? I mean, it's, and that's the, that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, there certainly seems to, I mean, if you, if you listen to what, um, um, oh, his name is evading me for, for the moment, but, um, you know, that there seems to be this controlled dissemination of information going mm. on since 2017. So is, is that in part in a, an attempt to building us towards something, you know, to, I mean? yeah, to, to, to desensitize the populace of, of this topic so that if there is um, a contact event or a, or or an actual disclosure event that the world markets won't crash and uh the you know the 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 the, the, the populations of the world won't um uh, turn into chaos and mayhem with all mm. of the you know so i, I don't well, know it does it's... pose an interesting question it was it was it we went on a marathon session the other night with anthony and we started talking about, because for me and you, right, and the people that we talk to and the people that we follow and all these sorts of things, we're all birds of a feather. Mm. We're not necessarily religiously affiliated. Um, you know, we don't have any, our belief system is completely open to the possibility of, you know, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to, we'll, we'll wrap it up soon, mate, but I'd love to hear your thoughts if you'd like homo sapiens sapiens, whether or not we were genetically modified, but we'll come to that in a second. Um, we're very open to it. We want it to happen. We want disclosure. But what we don't understand, and look, we, we sort of saw it the last few years, which percentage of the population is which, right? Um, who's going to walk lockstep, who's not, and who still follows blindly what the government says and who doesn't, right? But there's also a religious context there. And the question I said to the boys the other night was like, oh, because I sort of had a bit of a, a moment. I'm like, wow, what if we... You know, let's say full disclosure happens. We're not alone in the universe, blah, blah, blah. Imagine a world where the Roman Catholic Church and Islam had no more power because mm. their chosen God quite obviously didn't exist or doesn't exist, right? That would be total chaos, you know, and it's, but it's easy for us to say sitting here of a like mind, of a like research and going, yeah, let's do it. There's a, still a vast percentage of the population that wouldn't take it very well, I think. Yeah, we, we, we're just a very small um, microcosm of, of society. I mean, we, we're, we're a very small community that, you know, we're, we're beyond the point of I want to believe. We're, we're, we're both of the frame, I want to know. We, yeah. we want to know what, oh, I what believe. it is. I've got no issues with that. Yeah, so we, we but unlike uh, the vast majority of the, the general populace who probably don't give two stuffs about this topic because they're, you know, they're worried yeah, about distraction. Yeah, exactly. They've got the nine to five, they've got to put food on the table for their kids. And, and, and that's, and that's granted, that's fair enough. So we are in a position in that if disclosure was made tomorrow, the proverbial UFOs landing on the white house lawn, 
a lot of us in this community would uh, you know have, have feel a sense of vindication and, yeah. and 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 finalization that we now know and now we can now we can work to the next steps which is to get us to a type one civilization so mm -hmm. that we can you know break away from being uh, a, yeah, a warring, away, yeah, break warring away planet and don't matter. Yeah. yeah, tribalism and those sorts of things. And and I've said this before. The, the one thing that really gets under my skin is if if the U and this is kind of going back to what we talked about er earlier about you know um, crash retrievals and so on. If if the U.S. government has operated successful crash retrieval programs for more than seventy five years and has um, has sacrificed the potential advancement of human civilization in favor of national security interests. And that really, that really pisses me off because, yeah. you know, surely there can be a balance between national security interests and the advancement of civilization. I mean, how much, if, if, you know, if it, if it comes out in the next, hopefully in our lifetime, that zero point energy uh, is, is a reality and that i think it know, absolutely is by the way and, and yeah and tr and i believe there's a lot of uh validity to it and mm. but trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars have been wasted on yeah, uh, on on yeah on sending rockets to you know to, to the to the to the to the skies and elon musk crashing as many rockets as he has and us being reliant on fossil fuels and and you know developing parts of the world still not being able to have fresh running water and these sorts of things shame on shame on us as a as a as a human species for for favoring um you know yeah, tribalism the, and and, the and warring, dollar. Yeah. warmongering and and the petrodollar and and Collecting your gold national security interests in favor of event and that's my big fear is that if we don't as a as a as a species if we cannot get past this this warring mentality or you know this tribalism that it's going to be really challenging for us to to become a type one civilization Absolutely. where we can where we can harness uh you know the the free energy and and make this a sustainable planet that mm. generations upon generations can thrive from well when you speak about free energy i mean again uh yeah, my home, my unlocking the code homework for you, mate. Just go back and have a look at Otis Carr's episodes. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, um, cool. I think you find those very fascinating. Uh, however, that's one of the topics. It's so hard. There's so many rabbit holes, right? And one of the ones is this zero point free energy stuff. There's so many, so much technology that's been restricted, right? However, what I see now is there is a resurgence of people trying to understand Otis Carr's work and trying to make that anti-gravity machine work because apparently he made it work, right? He did multiple test flights of a UAP mm. in the 50s. Um, right. Both drones and a manned, at least one manned test flight. I definitely look forward to giving that a, a listen. Um, yeah. And uh, he had the, oh, there's this weird codex. I, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a bit of a strange ride, so... And I hold no responsibility for where in the rabbit hole you end up if you listen, okay? <laughs> but there's there's a, a resurgence of understanding of trying to grasp this magnetic, dielectric, uh, fusion tech that it seems to be permeating the ether. Well, it's actually what this is, Grant. This technology is actually harnessing the ether. It's harnessing mm -hmm. the space between spaces. It's utilizing that thing that joins everything else together. Um, mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I see a resurgence in that as well. And I wonder about that, right? Is there, you know, does it go to so, And again, we start talking about esoteric weird things with this conversation because we have to go there. It's like, is there downloads coming from the ether to those people who have the eyes to see and the, and the ears to listen, you know? Um, you know, I mean, like I said, I respect the work that you've done. I think it's amazing what you've done and digging all this stuff up and, you know, connecting with the, the, the community and, you know, yeah, COVID was the catalyst. However, you've always had the calling grant. It's always been there. Yeah. That was the COVID was the facilitator. That Absolutely. Got it out. Yeah. Right? Yep. And it's the same as the megalithic advanced civilization stuff for me. I was obsessed with aliens and pyramids when I was a boy and mm. it only until I got to the point where I wanted to start a passion project of my own that I've had a platform now to dig and release. And, you know, we all have these callings and I wonder whether that's not us doing our part for the, for the whole, you know, mm-hmm. yep. um, I think that's very important. What do you think about, I mean, obviously you talk about homo sapiens, sapien, floriensis, a lot of people are amazed to hear that I think there's been 24 hominids that have been discovered. Uh, a lot of those, the evidence is very thin, like a pinky bone and a bit of a jaw and like a lot of it's very scratchy, right? Mm. So two questions. Have you heard about the Paracas skulls in South America? I haven't, no. Okay, well, that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> um, they're elongated skulls that haven't been bound. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. And they still oh. see red hair. There's red. They're, they're very odd. Um, it was again, it was another one of those research rabbit holes that went down. They had to back out of a little bit because uh, everything's so deep. But number two, do you think, I mean, because one of the problems we have is the the question what makes me, Triffin, you, Grant, and what makes us conscious and what mm. makes us, gives us the ability? And how can we don't see that in any other observable hominid species on this planet? And it's a weird question. However, understanding now that we can genetically modify ourselves, that technology is fast approaching uh, or is already here. If you're to believe some of the stuff coming out of China and all those sorts of things. Do you think we would, we are, cause I mean, again, inside our bones is stardust where it's not inside a monkey bone. Do you think, that we were genetically modified? I mean, that's a big question, but I mean, what else explains it? Yeah, it's 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 interesting one. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, evolution and those that proponents of evolution that, I mean, I, I certainly think that there is, there is a missing link somewhere mm. in the chain mm. of evolution, whether that is, um, I mean, you know, you just look at the, the, the whole Bigfoot topic and, yeah. and, you know, is, I mean, the, the, the work that Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum is doing on, uh, analyzing, um, casts foot, you know, foot cast footprints, and he is 100% of the subscribes to the notion that there is an undiscovered or unknown bipedal hominid that is uh evading human detection that is roaming all corners of the the planet and a lot of them in the north uh west of the united states but there have been reportings going back 
you know, oh, there's Yowie sightings. Millennia. I mean, you look at the indigenous Australians, the Aboriginal uh, people back to dream time. Mm -hmm. You know, you just look at and then you look at the, the petroglyphs that um, are in uh, your know, cave paintings from from uh, sacred Aboriginal sites that have depictions of what we would uh, in this day and age, you know, consider to be a classic alien grey. So mm -hmm. there are um, things that have been uh, observed in in our distant past that um, still continue to this day and age. Why we are so fortunate as Homo sapiens sapien to be uh, in a position where we could not only survive but thrive in our environment and create things for the betterment and the enjoyment of... And it kind of goes to what Joe Rogan was saying. He was saying when he was interviewing, I think it was Ryan Graves, that the fact that we... We can just create and invent stuff. Mm. We always want. We're always seeking for something better or the next, mm. uh, the next you know best thing. Mm. And the fact that we uh, we don't merely survive, but we thrive in our environment, and we want to continue making it bigger and better, and and look for the next best thing. That that is something that's not shared by uh, any other living beings that I'm aware of on no. this uh, on this planet. And so, how did we get to yeah. this position that we're in today, where that's our that's our motivation? We're driven by. But it's also uh, the ability to talk, the ability to communicate, and comprehend, and, and, and create and and con conscious consciousness, yeah. and the ability. We still to... don't know why we're conscious. Right? This is the of all the amazing things that we do know. What makes me Triffin, you Grant, we actually don't know. Like, no. we don't know, right? Yep. You know, and we're two completely different beings, different thought processes. What is that? You know, how come if we plug a multimeter into ourselves, we get a, you know, 0.3 of an amp back charge? You know, like something is powering us, something is making us who we are. Mm. Um, so, to, to your original question, was there some form of genetic manipulation? along our path, possibly, uh, you know, I, I certainly would not be one to say, nah, that's ridiculous. That's just, you know, that's just bullshit talk. I, I, I've, I've always positioned myself as um, someone that is an ordinary dude that believes in extraordinary things, but has yeah. a, a healthy degree of skepticism, but also so a, an open mind. Yeah. So, so you, you have to uh, approach things with a healthy degree of skepticism, but also be open to the fact that there are so many things that we just don't know about mm. that uh, could change our reality or understanding of things the very next day. So mm. is it possible that there was some uh, level of assistance or manipulation to our DNA at some point in our history? Yeah, possibly. Mm. Uh, maybe. And mm. maybe. And, you know, there have been folks that have hinted at that um on a number of occasions like mm. you have i mean think of it what you will but luis elizondo was on uh you know with kurt jaimungle on theories of everything some some months back and was talking about well when you think of archaeology you think of relics but mm. what about looking at what is in um our dna Hmm. You know, you have uh, DNA is now known to be a, an excellent storage device. Absolutely, device yeah. You, can be stored on DNA that's device. right. So, so you know, what is it about um, 
the our DNA and the 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 human genome that is still there to discover. I mean, the the human genomic sequence was uh, I think identified a decade or two ago, but there are still many many things that we don't fully understand about. Um, you know, genetics, DNA, we're learning things every time. So one has the interesting, there... Yeah, one of the interesting things about the ancient stuff as well, mate, is that they knew about the genetic sequence, the, mm. that double helix, right? The yeah. snake around the pole, there's the two snakes around the pole. Um, that is represented again and again and again and again and again in, in, in ancient cultures, in ancient times. And a lot of the Indigenous stories, like the true Indigenous story, like the true Indigenous story of Australia is the the Palladian story, you know, the seven sisters, of the Pallades, you know, traveled to the earth, were being traced by the three brothers of Orion across the stars. And they came here and they, they couldn't quite adapt. So they, they adapted the hominids that were here to be a better human. Um, mm. There's the Sumerian texts. Um, you know, there's all sorts of, I mean, we've only translated not even a, a, a percentage of those tablets. However, the one, one of the ones we had did, one of the ones we did, it says that they knew the cataclysm was coming was so bad that they fled the planet, right? Mm. And that's interesting. 12,000, 13,000 years ago. Yeah. You know, so, and it, yeah, it's interesting. I, I've, got, I'm, I've got an open mind and there's some interesting work done by Bruce, Bruce Fenton and some interesting indigenous culture stories that echo around the globe that sort of say that we did, um, and and we were modified potentially, and I'm open to it. Um, mm. I'm just as open to that as the stone ape theory from Tennis Mc, Terence McKenna, where we ate psychedelic mushrooms, and you know, you know that 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 reactivated our brain and sent us forth. It's, you know, what I mean, it, it's it, you got to leave it all on the table until it's not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's the best approach to. Again, it comes back to the you know trust but verify, but still keep an open mind in how mm. you approach. Uh, uh you know a, a whole myriad of topics because mm. there's so much stuff that we we don't know and don't understand and and it's important for us to continue to ask questions and mm. and and you know be the rv lobes of the the world and wanting mm. to uh you know embark on uh on scientific scrutiny and analysis of things that we don't understand absolutely mate well look is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because I know it's getting late down under. Oh, down. It is getting late down under, but it's getting down, late down where you are, mate. And we, we are fathers uh, and full-time workers. Is there, is there any other? Uh... I guess that for, for me, what, I mean, we we live in incredibly exciting times. Like yeah. coming back to the, the UAP. Times, mate. I would say prophetic times. Prophetic, the, the UFO topic. I mean, look what we've experienced just in the last five years. Like, in May of this, only May of this year, you know, we had our first, you know, public congressional hearing on UFO, the first in my lifetime, and that mm. was incredibly exciting. Even as underwhelming as it was, yeah, like um, three I think it just came out of it or whatever it was. But yeah, yeah, and you know, having, uh, I mean, but the you know, the Wilson Davis documents were entered into the congressional record in the US. It was still an it's still an incredibly exciting time to be alive because. There are things going on at the moment that our parents would not have dreamed of if they had an interest in this topic. And I think that there is just so much more to look forward to, certainly as we enter into the year ahead in 2023 with you know, the uh, whistleblower protections and the anti-reprisal legislation, hopefully that's going to get signed into law. Mm. You've got 
you've got NASA has just embarked on a nine-month study of UAP. You've got the Galileo project, mm. hopefully to, hoping to produce its first report next year. You've got uh, we're expecting a report to come from uh, the US at the end of this month on an update on its yeah second one uh, yeah. It, yeah it's it's uh, investigation of this topic. So what what are you excited for in the next? 12 months on this uh on this topic what what do you think lies ahead in the in the next in the next year jeez it's hard at the moment to predict what's going to happen you know like we could wake up tomorrow and the whole world would be different however well i mean with so many i would would love i would love to see anti-gravitic technology because through my research, and we don't have time to go into it now, however, through Otis T. Carr's work, which was, he was a protege of Tesla, I think we understand a version of this zero-point energy and free energy technology harnessing the magnetic energy and stuff of the earth. And I think we've known about it for a long time. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to be highly disappointed how long we've known about it because of the quest for fossil fuel and the, and the mighty dollar um, and the, you know, the just feeding the gold coffers of the the global cabal. However, I sincerely hope that we can move forward as far as a, uh, from an energy point of view and from a technology point of view. And will that happen? I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm, I'm very, mm. because I don't trust any government, I have issues with what they release. Yeah. You know? I think it's independent researchers like yourself and, and the, the fine the fine gentlemen and, and ladies that you, you mentioned tonight throughout the show. Um, it's researchers like that. I'll watch those guys. What do they say? You know what I mean? What's their interpretation? Um, but we have to move. Like you said, man, the, 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 the end of the day, we've got to realize love is the answer. We've got to realize that the, you know, sex, color, creed, religion, all that stuff makes no difference. And if we're ever going to move forward, and and be part of the galactic civilization that i think exists uh maybe in, maybe look the only thing we didn't talk about is the moon and the solar system but maybe we leave that for another day uh, um, part, part part two part two yeah um and yeah we've got to realize that in mm. order to move forward and i think we've always got to remember that you know we've got high definition screens in front of us we just waxed lyrical and we didn't really in depth anything. We just brushed on a heap of topics that deserve much more attention. Mm. That is a single pixel in the screen that we're looking into, right? That is the amount of knowledge that we have, right? Whereas all the pixels in the screen are the amount of knowledge that is actually out there, you Mm. know, and as long as we continue to understand that, however, I'm looking forward I want to see what Corbell releases, right? Because I think what's going to happen is that the government stuff is going to move forward Mm. and that will give him the green light to release more stuff that he has. Um, There's also some of this zero-point energy and this this, uh, dielectric, magnetic, gravitic technology. I think there's a few people waiting for green lights um, and they will release some of that. I'm very fascinated to see what that brings. And then what it tells us about our past, right? Well, how many of these craft were found at ancient sites? Because, um, yeah, I could spend hours talking to you about that sort of stuff uh, where 
you know, depictions of UFOs and stories of beings from the sky and all that stuff is littered throughout. Yeah. History, you know? Well, I think uh, uh, you raise a good point. I think, I mean, again, love him or hate him, but I think Dr. Stephen Greer's next project will be an interesting one when he's crowdfunding his next film documentary, I think his uh, title at the lost century. Mm. So he will actually cover a lot of these technologies that have been mastered uh, you know, uh, anti-gravity, if that was, you know, mastered in the 50s, mm. uh, you know, why has that technology been suppressed? Uh, yeah, suppressed. Uh, well, I you think, know. you know, you talk about hydrogen technologies. There was a guy, I can never remember his name when I talk about it. Basically, and again, the story goes, you know, <laughs> it's something like how many patents for all the best technology in the world, how much of it was channeled or was come through to people on psychedelics is that's a ridiculous percentage. But yeah, this guy channeled a free energy device that he basically, and he was, I don't know whether he was an Aussie, I can't remember the details, but anyway, it basically was two poles in the earth and then using magnets and stuff to create enough energy to power his house. Right. And right. This was in the sixties and seventies. Mm. Um, and as usual, you know, I think I think he crashed into a tree, mate. It was the only tree within a five kilometer radius. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those guys, those guys accidentally shoot themselves in the head twice uh, with that stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. Yeah, you know. So I, I, I want to see that because that could tip everything on its head, right? That my my greatest concern as a as a father and as a as a as a citizen of the world is that they're pushing us towards another another big war, right? Because mm. that's the next, you know, the triads, you know sickness economic and war and we've had the yeah we maybe before yeah. maybe before we start throwing nuclear bombs in each other right we can reveal some of this stuff so we can stop and prop and go hey maybe this isn't worth it and hopefully for our children's sake mate that that is the case i agree i agree we we certainly live in yeah scary times our parents you know lived through the cuban missile crisis which for their generation was the scariest time to be alive and i think we live in a comparable time now with with a crazy crazy man with his hand on the on the button over in russia so mm. you know and then, and then shaky granddad's hand at the other end which i wouldn't trust him to put the number in you know no no you, you can't <laughs> no matter no matter who you elect into office you can't win with no who 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 has the uh who makes the decisions but but again you know, okay so the release of this technology the release of the understanding of uaps ufos and the, and the ongoing ripple effect would render the power that these people have useless and i think that's probably the key as to why it's being drip fed mm. to a degree they want to take their riches before they get you know yeah i i i think you've i think there's some some credence to that for sure mm. yeah and you know, main, I mean, you know, maintaining this uh, global spectrum dominance, this this competitive advantage uh, above and beyond our our peers, our adversaries, and uh, you know that again, it comes back to that 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 whole tribalism issue. You know, because we're such a warfaring mm. planet um, that uh, that unfortunately is going to drive a lot of the. I mean, I've said time and time again, you know, the secrecy that's long plagued this topic has unfortunately bred um, distrust, uh, you know, suspicion, which is long bred distrust. Mm. So the the longer that secrecy exists behind the walls of government and its you know 
there are only those a small number that um, have a need to know that actually know, then mm. secrecy will unfortunately continue to persist and there'll always be distrust in government for as long as there's secrecy. So, you know. Here's hoping, mate. And, you know, let's, uh, those listeners, even, even the international listeners around the globe, uh, give me the links for that, um, the the petition or whatever it is to, yep, to write into absolutely. the senators. Um, and yeah, tell tell the tell the people where your YouTube video is. Oh, and by the way, Tombstone is the best movie, man. Like I think that that well, I'm a like big, big white white up fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like look, Big Trouble in Little China. Like <laughs> when we were younger, you for sure. You, when we were younger, exactly. for sure. However, yeah, Tombstone is one of the, is in the top five of my favorite movies, and that's because uh, of that. Kurt, Kurt and uh, and Val Kilmer certainly yeah. did wide open Doc Holiday justice with the with that film. Mm. One of my favorites. So, mm. but I mean, I, I'm again being an obsessed Kurt fan. Uh, I love anything that he does. So, I like the fact that he's come back and done the Christmas Chronicles. My kids have really enjoyed those. And my little one, who's now almost three, she's she's getting into it. So I'm, yeah. I'm able, to, I'm, I'm pleased I'm able to enjoy some of his uh, his fun stuff with with my little one. Yeah. Mm. So where, where can people find you, mate? What's the name of YouTube? So, um, yeah, feel free to engage me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is just my full name, at Grant Levac, G-R-N-T-L-A-V-A-C. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Um, just search for Grant Levac. You'll find me there as well. My channel is called... Um, well, actually, you, the, the, they're now changing um, handles with, um, with YouTube. So if you continue just to type in... Um, Grant Levac, um, you'll find me. But the the channel that I run is called The Unexplained Rundown, mm-hmm. where I cover uh, primarily um, my journey on the UAP topic and engaging my elected representatives on UAP in an Australian context. But I do cover um, other topics as well, um, some fun stuff like Kurt Russell and the Phoenix Phoenix Lights, uh, his encounter on the thirteenth of March, nineteen ninety seven, cool. and I've uh, I've got um, a couple other interviews lined up in the months ahead that are UAP related, but slightly um, slightly you know, offshoots of the topic. Mm. Well, I look forward to it, mate. And look, any updates that come along or anything else like that. Look, this is our first conversation, mate. However, I don't think it'll be a last one. And you know, thank you very much for joining me tonight. And uh, been you know a pleasure. I, I tell you what, I really appreciated is that when I was watching that. Kurt video and I'm not going to spoil it for everyone because it's well worth a lot watch very well done congratulations oh thank you <laughs> is, is that you're totally right mate you, us content creators out here you know I don't get paid for this I this is a, a, a passion and a, an obsession um, and yeah I really appreciate that little ditty at the, at the start where you said you know kudos to my fellow creators and because yeah it's hard to explain to people you know like I said, you know, there's 15, 20 folders that I can see just glancing up at the second screen there that are to do with research rabbit holes mm. that I do for a show that I've been doing for a long time. However, you know, so it's cool. And I, and I appreciate your efforts. And I just oh, you, 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 I, you're very uh, welcome. Well, it's, and it's so true because, you know, the, the amount of time and energy and effort that you invest into not just what the public see, which is, you know, you on screen or listening to a podcast, but it's the hours upon hours upon hours that go into 
the research, the production behind the screen, the scene, promoting it, make sure that, you know, people uh, like the content and they share it. So I do, I, I have a ton of respect for folks like yourself and Anthony and, and really anyone that, you know, has, um, uh, you know, that, that consistent persistence to doing what they do and, and mm. putting out great content on a topic that they're so passionate about. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's credit to their love for uh, the, the, the topic. Mm. Well, I just wanted to return the return serve, mate. Thank you. Yeah, yeah oh, I appreciate your work as well. Thanks, so. buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah. Good on you, everyone. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, all the links will be in the show notes, and we'll get some uh, uh, some other stuff that we can put up on the page and stuff like that. Thanks, mate. Until next time, mate. Been great chat with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Trippin. No worries. All the best. Just want to go again. Let's do it. Yeah. Go again. All right. I know you've been here before No surprises settle the score I know the darkness deep inside Reckless rage